We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. Welcome to the other side of hell. Welcome, welcome, my friend. Yes. Ah. This is a show where we talk about Willie and his and his hats <laughs> and how weird it is when he doesn't wear them. Yeah. For a lot of welcome to the show, everybody. We're gonna get right into it. For a lot of people uh that don't know, uh I am very thin on top. And so when That's I take, one way to put it. When I when I well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm bald, but <laughs> Because there is hair, but I look weird with a hat on it, uh, off, and, it, and it's part of me opening up to you guys, letting you know a little bit more about me and my insecurities. Not having hair next to a guy like Cameron, it, it's kind of it's kind yeah. of intimidating yeah. because he has such a great head of hair. Yeah, I get it. Uh, for those people that haven't watched the show, it's but pretty amazing. Here's something that. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be good here. Good to see you. <laughs> good, good to get in here. I needed this. Yeah, because, you know. At, Let's talk more about my hair and your lack well, of hair. Well, there's there's a reason that I'm I'm bringing this stuff up, mm. right? And, and it kind of ties into our topic. We have a great war story today from Lori. Lori. Lori, who. Love uh, her. I, I, I watched her for a very long time. We scheduled and then rescheduled and had to cancel and had to cancel and rescheduled and finally got together. It's been a long time coming, so I'm very grateful to get her story and, and was well worth the wait. Um, but as she was talking, you know, it kind of brought up this idea of community and, and your crew knowing. Mm. And so when we were discussing topics, Cameron came up with the idea of knowing your crew. Got to know your crew, man. And, and the reason that I bring up my head is because a lot of people, you might consider us part of your crew. And I remember the first time I took my hat off in front of, of Cameron, and he was uh, taken back a bit. It's still weird. <laughs> it is still weird. So it's, it's an attempt to better let him know me, you know, to know. Yeah, I've seen, all, I've seen you with your shirt off, too. Yeah. Which, well. And we always talk about how that's like the... Like the most vulnerable you could be. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, remember back in the day was. when we were first doing the show, we'd be like, oh, I'm just going to get vulnerable. And you'd be like, really? Take your shirt yeah. off. Know your crew. Meet your crew. Spend time with your crew. People you hang out with are important, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. People you spend your time with. I, I think that uh, really like what, what inspired this, like what, what I really liked about Lori's story is that she talks about... Um, the Instagram community and it just made me think about the fact that we wouldn't have even gotten her story were it not for Instagram yeah and just how how much like I appreciate the crew that we have on Instagram yeah and how cool it is that we were able to use social media in that way in such a positive way yeah in such a positive way and like we also have 
obviously we're members of a 12-step program or members of AA, so we have friends in the community here um, that uh, that are AA members, and and so we get some of our crew members that way. Know know your crew, people that I do this show with. Like these are my peeps, man. Yeah, and and it's so important that I surround myself with the right kind of people. It really is. <clears throat> whether it's online or whether it's um, you know, in the activities that I do, even the workplace, um, especially the workplace. And, uh, and, and yeah, it just, she, she emphasized, uh, the fact that you don't have to have AA to get sober. And so I wanted to talk about, you know, like, well, what, what, what is it that, uh, that is important in the people that you hang out with and the people that I hang out with the people that I hang uh, out with? Uh, yeah. I mean, the cool thing about it is, is that, that we kind of, at some point we, we realize that we get to decide the kind of people that we want in our lives and that even with family members, we're not obligated to um, have relationships with people that don't resonate at the same vibrations we do. Mm. Um, there's, there's a, a, there, there's been studies and I, I wish I knew all the scientific names I and AA is everywhere else. Take what I want and leave the rest. And and so there's been studies done, and one of them is called the crab effect. They've also done it with monkeys. But the crab effect is basically they took a, a, a whole bunch of crabs and put them into a tub, and there was a rope down there. And no matter how hard any one of those crabs tried to move up the rope, the rest of them would fucking drag them back mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. right and that was the mentality of those crabs and and so you take that same thing into a group of people and we're we're a lot like that you know if we hang out with a ton of people that are always bringing each other down that's the level we're going to be at if we hang out with a ton of people that are lifting each other up that's the level we're going to be at and we get to decide what that is how do we come to the realization of the type of people that we're hanging out with? Well, one of them for me was making a decision to start changing my life and getting sober was obviously a huge part of that, but also changing the way that I see myself and my negative thinking, <clears throat> um, being around other people that are constantly thinking and talking negatively or looking at the world through a negative lens became something that I adapted and took on as myself. And then having judgments against myself on the behaviors and my inability to overcome alcoholism on my own and, and beat mm. these expectations of things created this space of negative self-talk and negative self-worth where I would look at myself and I would always kind of feel less than. And when I started hanging out with people in the rooms of recovery, uh, they identified with that feeling, but they had moved past it where right. they were starting to see themselves uh, people of worth. And I remember this guy at a meeting one time and he had said something that someone else had said to him, which was, if you want self-esteem, do esteemable things. And he started going through this list of things. He's like, here's some things that I learned I can do. I can open the door for another person and hold that door. I can pick up a piece of trash off the ground. I can say a kind word to myself in the mirror 
even if at the time I don't mean it. Hmm. Eventually, something will click, and I'll either become that nice thing or I will believe I already am that nice thing. And so uh, that stuck with me. But I had to be around people that were talking right, like that. Right, right, right. I had to put myself around people like that. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily know these people on a one-to-one basis or fucking what their birthdays are or who their parents were, where they, um, how many fucking siblings. Like, that's not, that's not the thing. What it came down to was I learned that I'm an alcoholic, and that was automatically the very first identif- identifier between me and these other people, right? And mm-hmm. it, it, when, when I identified that I'm alcoholic, based on the way that I drink and what happens when I put alcohol into my body, that put me in a position to go to another place with these people. Like, okay, we're alcoholic and we have low self-esteem. Now we're sober and we're working on our self-esteem. Right, right, right. And it just kind of... Yeah, and working on ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that's the... Uh, yeah, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, your example of you know, being around somebody who has such great wisdom to share, like that's, that's what I get from people in the program and people who have been in my shoes and people who are willing to share their experience with me, um, is I get an example of how to navigate those situations for myself. But what it reminds me of is like when I was drinking and using, of course, like whether it was consciously or subconsciously, I made it a point to surround myself with people who were going to co-sign my bullshit. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And people who I would, you know, like co-sign their bullshit. And um, it made me think about how the wisdom shared would be so different, right? Like this guy is saying, if you if you want self-esteem, you got to do esteemable things. And it's like, yes, that is a shining example of something that you will hear in recovery. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it'd be like, man, fuck the government <laughs> trying to get money out of me for parking in a legal parking spot. And it's like, yeah, fuck the government. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden I'm buying into this guy's negative yeah. opinion and, and negative perspective of, of looking at life because it will justify the next drink. Right. Um, and so it's like, yeah, well, I'm, I, I tend to believe the opinion of those I surround myself with and, uh, and I'm able to find truth in, uh, in the, the, uh, the value that, uh, that is in the words that those people convey. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'm just so grateful that it is what it is today compared to what it could be because, you know, I spent a lot of time around very, very cynical people and it, it, it actually isn't something that I even realized until I was able to get sober and started surrounding myself around different people. I could see like, wow, we don't actually have like a ton in common. Yeah. And now when I spend time with that person, it actually feels very, down yeah and kind of just feels negative and there's just low energy and they're on a different vibration and I, I i don't like that right 
Um, and and that's okay, might it, I say, right? Like, like it's okay to change crews. Mm-hmm. It's okay to change friends. We're not, we're, we don't have to be married to negativity out of some obligation. Yeah, it's okay. And like, I think that uh, it's, um, it's, it's what's best for me and for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that oftentimes it can feel like you're abandoning them somehow. Like yeah. you, like you said, like you owe it to them. Um, but man, like you spend enough time around that, you know, like I, I spent enough time around that person. Um, my obligation is now fulfilled. Yeah. And it's okay for me to work on myself because deep down that's what that person wants for me. Yeah. Um, because they were all good people. Like sure. honestly, like sure. I, I had some good people in my life, um, who, who just didn't have it in them, you know, yeah. to, to think positively about themselves and, and to move in a positive direction. And, and, uh, and I always, you know, wanted what was best for them and I think they wanted what was best for me. And so now I have that, Yeah, you know, um, but it is, it's, it's just, it's, it's challenging water to navigate. Um, especially when you're early in sobriety. Yeah. <clears throat> and I found, I found early on, man. And it, and, I had a stint of sobriety when I was 24. I stayed sober for three years, and then I've had this one. Uh, this one's lasted over 10 and a half. But um, <clears throat> that, you know, some of the things that parallel, like that stint of sobriety and this stint of sobriety, I both found myself having to spend copious amounts of time alone. Um, and the reason for that is because when I first got sober, um, the type of people that I was hanging out with before I got sober were dangerous to my sobriety. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't bad people or anything like that. They were still in, in the disease. They were still drinking and using. Um, I didn't start connecting uh, emotional or spiritual growth or decline to that stuff till way later, right? And sure. so, And so spending time alone, I was able to start kind of like what kind of things do I like? And and I would go do those things alone. One of them was, especially back when I was 23, 24, um, I, I, I liked eating. <laughs> I knew that. I like eating. And so, like, I would go out to dinner by myself a lot. And I would usually go to, like, uh, all-you-could-eat pizza or a buffet. And I would sit there and I would eat um, alone. And then I found, you know, I liked going to the movies and I would go to movies alone and I would, um, you know, I liked, uh, going to the record store I liked music. And so I'd go to the record store, play my guitar alone. But then I started finding people that were sober that liked those things too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's one of the cool things that happened with, uh, the Instagram community is we started finding people first that we're staying sober. And then through that, we found that they also enjoy a lot of the same things that we do. Right. Like, um, having fun Mm -hmm. and joking around and, and stuff like that. And so I think it's important to remember to like, like if, if you're changing your crew or you're new or there's a change happening in your life where there's a relationship and this is, this is for me as well. 
there's a relationship that's like not serving the highest version of myself and I start hanging out with new people or uh, interacting with new people or, or new philosophies or things like that, give it some time. Right. Right. Like don't, don't make a decision off of the first bit of, you know, discomfort or being uncomfortable or, or, or not connecting or whatever that is, because likely what's going to happen, especially in my case is at a subconscious level, I'm going to look for the differences right off the bat. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I'm going to look for. And everybody that I come in contact with because I have the disease of alcoholism that wants to get me alone and get me drunk. So if I'm working on myself, obviously I'm going to try and fucking just make sure that doesn't work. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Look for yes. reasons to stop. Yeah, so, so give it some time. You know, and, and try more than one. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. know Cameron pretty good now because of that stuff. Can you imagine, dude? I used to be so scared of you. What? You're a scary guy, especially with your hat off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you're just a you're just a, a very intimidating character. You're you're giant for people that don't know. Like you're like six eight or something. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm six two. Exactly. Yeah. Six eight or taller. <laughs> and uh and I was very uh hesitant to say certain things around you. Huh. Because I cared a lot about your opinion, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And now I, I just tell you all sorts of shit. Yeah, because we're not all that different. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like uh stature doesn't matter. Well, there. and here's the thing too, is like the better I get at that with one person the easier it is with other people right right so it's like i can have it might take me a couple months to open up to you because i met you super early in recovery but now like i can meet somebody like david james and find myself opening like right up right because i've done that before and found that uh, it's not as scary as I thought it would be mm-hmm. and that uh, it's better if I'm just open and honest yeah and just myself well received remember remember the mind fuck of of should I say should I should I not say with with new people like <clears throat> like with a mentorship sure. right like in in AA and NA and a lot of places uh, there's a sponsor in in non-traditional um, sobriety, you know, uh, uh, alcohol-free or or being sober. Yeah, you uh, might have a life coach. You or will have a coach or right. somebody like that, uh, a mentor. <clears throat> and when we get around these people who have clearly stated their state of desperation, they've they've mentioned how desperate they had been the dark places they have gone they've opened up to us liberally just just honestly and in depth with things all of a sudden here comes this very normal alcoholic tendency this craving or this thought of selfishness or this irritability and we find ourselves like just battling inside of our own heads 
should I talk to this well, person? I, like, they're going <laughs> to judge me. Like, oh no, he's struggling already. He'll never make it. Yeah. Like, I think we do a lot of assuming for other people. Um, yeah. Or I can just speak for myself, right? Like, I assume that I know what everybody's thinking. And so it can really keep me from opening up to yeah. people. Um, but I've gotten so much better at that in recovery because I realized that a, I don't know what you're thinking and B, even if you are thinking what it is, I think you're thinking that doesn't have to stop me from being who I am. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was a powerful thing for me to learn. Yeah. Um, I'm just so glad that I surround myself with people today who think like that, Yeah, you know, and aren't afraid to talk about that kind of stuff because there's so many things that we're able to talk about with people who have gotten sober, mm-hmm. um, that are generally just not talked about. I'll just say that like, it's not that people are afraid or maybe they are, maybe they aren't, I don't know, but they just don't seem to be talked about openly and like in that sort of way. So sometimes I find myself, um, with people outside of recovery saying things like, and wondering if I overshared, <laughs> have you ever had that? Yeah. Like, uh, for example, I just, uh, um, I, so I work remotely a lot of times, but every once in a while I've got to go into the office. And for me, it happens to be, um, quite a drive. It's like an hour and 15 minutes away. And, uh, and I went in one day and one of the, he's an officer of the organization. So he's technically a boss, right? Um, he just came up to me and gave me a hug. and was like, Oh man, I haven't seen you forever. Like, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're around. Like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I know I'm doing pretty good as long as I can stay out of my head, man. (laughs) Sometimes I just get in my head and I start believing these things that I know aren't true, but like I start believing them. and And like, after I ended that sentence, I was like, man, like, did I just dump a bunch of like (laughs) just weird crap on him to where he's probably, you know, like, but it was, it went fine. You know, it was super well received and I still interact with this guy in, in, uh, in a way that, uh, I I feel to be, um, beneficial, but, um, but yeah, I don't think that that's normal. How many times does that dude ask somebody like, how are you? And they just say, Oh, I'm fine. Most, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of times that's how I am too. Like, yeah. I'll just, yeah, I'm good. But every once in a while you get me on the right day or the right moment. Like I'll just be a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, It's better than being awkward. And I don't know. Lying about it's weird for me now. You know, lying about it is weird. Like I'm not okay. Like, like what's up? Mm -hmm. I'm not okay today. Yeah. And that's okay. yeah. Yeah. And, and just being honest about that stuff. So, I mean, you know, meeting new people, I think, is is uncomfortable. Period. It it, it it's just something that that everybody deals with, right? It's that feeling of insecurity and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, but the longer we're here, the more comfortable we get. Fortunately, and I, and I want people to understand this: that if you go through and you listen to the catalog of people that have been on the show, everybody went into new situations uncomfortable. Everybody that shared their story on the show, no matter what direction they had gotten sober, no matter what direction they had gotten help, 
there was uncertainty involved with it. There was a calling inside of them uh, that said, what I'm doing is wrong for me. I have a problem and I need help. And going out and reaching for that help can sometimes be very scary because mm-hmm. we don't know what's mm-hmm. going to come our way. Like, that's not an uncommon feeling. So there, there's nothing wrong with you. Like that is that is one of the most basic things that I have come across. Okay, it's no reason to not try to make your life better just because you're uncomfortable. When we go on the vein of the Instagram thing, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, uh, let me give you an example of how powerful this can be. Uh, Real life example? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, you're involved. Okay. And, Even and, better. And so pre-COVID, about COVID, around that time, we'd all, so many people that we talked to, Lori is one of them that mentions uh, Instagram at the height of, you know, be, due, due to the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a... Um, a drawing for the other side of hell podcast to, to gain some followers and let people know that we're here. And so we were giving out some merch. Mm. We're giving out a hat and hat, a hoodie, a shirt and clothes and stuff. And some people, you know, people entered. One of the first people that entered was a guy from rock Springs, Wyoming. And, uh, he ended up winning. Mm -hmm. His name's Marty. He's been on the show. Mm hmm. Because he has he, been since then. Yeah. Right? It's because he had done that. He won the thing. We got to talk and it turned out Marty and I knew each other. Right. What, from, are, the, what from, are the odds from before? Uh, in sobriety from a long time ago. Uh, as it, as, as we talked and we got to know each other through Instagram and the show, he ended up becoming my AA sponsor. And I work the steps with him and I talk to him all the time now. That's a powerful, a powerful friendship that we have together because he talks to me about his. I talk to him about mine. We open up. And through that, we ended up meeting even more people. Uh, some, some other people. Adam, who mm-hmm. is from Tennessee or Missouri. Alabama. Mississippi. Somewhere. Somewhere in the Lu- south. Louisiana. Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and Billy from Brainwashed Coffee. Now, Instagram brought all of us together in an unexpected way. Mm-hmm. And through that, through that unexpected way, we formed a pact, a crew of people. And we text and talk to each other every day yep. about yep. recovery and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Billy ended up becoming... Um, a great supporter and sponsor of the show through his, through his brand brainwash coffee. Adam does whatever it is. Adam does for our crew. <laughs> he has the best chefs. <laughs> he does. Have good chefs. Uh, but, uh, you know, through this stuff, we've met these people that have enhanced and just brought so much more value and joy and ability to our lives because we're able to talk to each other and bounce things off of each other that we wouldn't be able to do alone and have fun with each other. Yeah. You know, Jordan, uh, our audio engineer and camera guy from behind the, uh, cameras there. You guys have probably heard him again because we were all at one point very vulnerable to meet new people and to become part of a crew. Despite that, 
insecurity, mm-hmm. uncertainty, mm-hmm. and fear. Uh, we gain a relationship with each other, and, and now he's a part of the podcast, and we're friends. Same with Rylan. Rylan kind of came out of nowhere, but we're looking for somebody to do what he does. He started doing it, and now I can't imagine my life without him. These are all things, these are all real-life examples mm-hmm. of starting a, a foundational point of sobriety and growing into relationships that are beyond just being sober. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and people that, uh, are priceless and, and that you couldn't live without. Right. Can't imagine my life without them. I could probably live without them, but yeah. Well, let's hope you don't have to find out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's amazing to me really how many times we hear, that uh that the pandemic did that for for somebody in recovery yeah we hear all the time that you know then covid hit and the meeting shut down because i don't think that anybody ever expected that there would be something or there would be something bad enough for a moment in time where aa meetings would just stop yeah and i think that really people had to think outside of the box and and uh, and begin to rethink their recovery, and they did that for um, us as a show. We had to kind of rethink uh, how we were going about communicating with people to get their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of the same way, people had to think about how to communicate with people to get some recovery. Yeah. And really, what it allowed um, a lot of people to do is things that they wouldn't normally have have done and uh and i think that it for me it opened up my eyes to a whole different sober community outside of the community that i had here locally yeah and i saw that there's a lot of different ways to get sober there's a lot of ways to uh, to have that accountability and to have the community that comes with um, a 12-step program and that really it seems like the foundations are the same as far as the things you need in order to stay sober. Mm-hmm. You got to stay plugged into a community. You've got to um, realize you have a problem, realize you have a problem and, and, and forget about the idea that you are the exception and that you can yeah. have the occasional drink. Right. Yeah. Um, and you've got to help others yeah. and that's what I see other people doing when they recover out loud on Instagram and that's what we're kind of able to do by putting ourselves out there in this platform, hopefully. I mean, and you know, in the end, if all it does is help us, then time is not wasted. Mm-hmm. I'm sober. No, I mean, and, and what you mean by that is like, as long as we're sober and we're helping ourselves and others, uh, everybody's lives around us are better, right? Everybody's lives around us are better and nobody wishes that we're out there getting fucking drunk. Like it's not, it's not a bad place to be mm-hmm. in a place where, um, that, that you lift each other up, especially in times of turmoil. Right. Um, the cool thing about this community and this crew that we're a part of is that there's really probably 
nothing that someone hasn't gone through sober. Mm -hmm. And when I I put emphasis on that, the most horrific shit, the, the most terrible imaginable things people have had to go through with family members, themselves, with strangers, their countries, who knows? There's somebody that went through that sober and within that community, you can find them and, and you can talk to them and it will be, it will fall on open ears and be well received because this is not a place to bring each other down. This is a place where we thrive on life and we want to help get that out to as many people as possible. Life is just too short to continue in the misery. We didn't come here and get sober to continue to be miserable and live in fear and be alone. We came here because we were living in misery and fear and loneliness and we wanted to change that. And we found that the alcohol no longer worked and we found that we had to find some other way to live and sobriety seemed like the only way possible. When we got sober, everything in our lives changed including the way we looked at ourselves and the people we were hanging out with and because of that, we started finding people that resonated a higher vibration, people that are looking to do better in their own lives, people that are looking to help each other do better in their own lives, people that want to give this stuff away, people that want to discover things about themselves, people that want to rediscover things about themselves, people that want to just enjoy life at its fullest because we are kind of the fortunate ones in a way that we've got to live two lives in one lifetime we got to live that life and we got to live this life. And I see that this life is a much better way. And when I surround myself with the people that are doing the same thing, it makes me want to continue doing it even more. And it gives me ideas and outlets and uh, perspectives that I would not figure out around ro- low vibrating people or just hanging out with myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Know Amen. your crew. Amen. Amen, brother. I appreciate all the all all of what you just said, and it's a reminder to me that um, I've been truly blessed uh, to have you. And you have been blessed and, to have me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I say that in a way that I hope doesn't Cameron, go to your head. Cameron, you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's write a song about it. I apologize for. Yeah, that did get to my head. We're so, having fun. Yeah which is important. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I agree, Willie. I think that, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm tired. It's not the, it's not the, the be all win all, but we do know that, um, we become what we think about and we think about the things we're around. And if we're, you know, it's just know the people that you're around and be honest about it. Um, there's some people that will seem to be continuously negative and pessimistic about life and that kind of shit is just draining on your spirit. I'm not saying kick them out, get rid of them completely. What I'm saying is for me and people that are like that, I have to spend short amount of time with them and go out when I'm away from them and do really good with my life so that I continue to be that example when people are like 
life is shit, fuck the government, and I go out and I disprove that, that life is great, it has nothing to do with the government, and then I come back into their life, and they're like, life is shit, you know, fuck the environment, or, or whatever it is the next time, because it can change, and I, I leave that situation trying to lift them up, you know, like, like come on, man, like, look, look, look at it, look at it from this perspective, or whatever, and they don't want to hear it. And I go back out, and I get around people like Lori and, and you and the people that lift me up. Then when I get back around those people again, I'm still at this higher energy level and this, this, this vibration that makes me feel good, and I try to share that to them. I'm not, you know, you don't have to kick them out of your life. Like, I don't have to kick them out of my life completely, but I do have to limit my exposure to that mm. negativity is stronger than my positivity one-on-one i found that out good point but yeah that but seems to be true positivity is more what how do i how do i say this like the pot the collective positivity of many is much more is much stronger than the influence of negativity from one sure yeah right so i would agree with that statement yeah that makes sense well it's apparently it does because you agree with it so i did something right you're like a smart that. guy am i that's why i surround myself with you <laughs> i mean i probably wouldn't follow you into a spelling bee contest <laughs> hey it's not it's not my fault english writes stuff not the way it sounds <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I I appreciate our relationship, and I, I appreciate uh, the uh, the community that I've found here in sobriety. It's 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 you know, and and the other thing too is, that I think of is we are people who would not ordinarily mix. Yeah, I don't know that if in any other life, if you and I would not have been friends, um, but. I'm glad that we're friends in this life. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and there's so many people that I interact with in the recovery community that, uh, that seem like, okay, like back in the day, like this would have never happened. Yeah. But like here we are now. And like, we have this one thing in common and that's that we both struggled with this addiction. We both, uh, ran our lives into the ground and here we are working today to stay sober and build that back up and help others with our message. And that is enough. Yeah. That, that is enough to bring us together today to celebrate that, to, um, you know, to have fun, to have those insightful conversations. And, and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that we've interacted with that, uh, that I'm just like, this is crazy. This is is crazy. It's crazy. We're talking like this. (laughs) I don't even know you, but yeah, I know you. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and I'm just grateful for those moments. I'm grateful for those relationships and, and it's all because I had a drug problem. Huh? Who'd have thought, you know, who else is great? Lori. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who? Another example of somebody Instagram. Yep. Somebody we met through IG. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and she, she gets into that a little bit in her story and, and you'll hear how this type of, of social media influence can, 
definitely have a positive uh, impact on your sobriety and your life in general. No matter what it is you're struggling with, there's people on this platform that can support whatever that struggle is. Uh, we always want to be weary, but... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. With, here is uh, Rory's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwashed Coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell Podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment, Found a New Freedom, we drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code OTHERSIDE. Clean your beat. Brainwashed Coffee. Now, without further ado, here's this week's War Story. Hi, I'm Lori, and I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. And uh, it took me a long time to be able to say that grateful, grateful to be an alcoholic. Um, you know, I have been sober since February 16th, 2010. Um, I say sober on that day. That's the day that I walked into the rooms of AA and surrendered. And um, I wouldn't say that I, I was really sober. I was probably a, a, a dry drunk because I did not want to listen to anything that anybody had to say in the rooms because number one, I was a little bit older than some people in there. And so I was really comparing myself and not identifying. Uh, and one of the biggest things I, I, I think that was um, troubling to me when I first got in and I felt like I didn't belong was uh, I didn't start drinking young. Um, I come from a, a, an Italian family. I was born in the late in, in mid 1960s, 1964, and I was the oldest uh, of um, an Italian Catholic family. And back then, you know, children were seen and not heard. You did not air out your dirty laundry. Asking for help, <sighs> sign of weakness. My dad wanted um, boys so bad. So he was, he was tough on us girls. We're all girls. You know, I have a, a, a younger brother uh, that came 12 years after, after me, but um, he was tough on us and, and nothing. We didn't get the pats on the back and you're doing a good job. And if I came home with straight A's, he'd be whippy fucking dude. Do you want a medal? And it was like, I just felt like I never was good enough. No reason. He barely talked to us. So it's not like he beat us or, you know, he just, there was just certain things that needed to be done and you had to do them. Um, a lot of my friends in the seventies smoking pot and dropping acid and doing speed. And I was petrified of all that shit. I didn't touch anything. I was a good girl. <laughs> I was a good girl, but I hated myself and I don't know why. I don't know why I had a roof over my head. We had food on the table. There was, you know, plenty of us, you know, there, you know, we were, 
there was uh, three girls and a boy. And, you know, we, we did have another sister who had passed away when she was two, but she, she was um, very sick from the time she was born. So we never met her, but we heard about her, but we were not allowed to talk about her because it was too painful. And so you didn't talk about it. You didn't ask questions. Um, and I remember always trying to get attention. So whether it was, you know, doing the best I could in school, or if it was just doing things for people, I did, had no idea who they were or what, you know, they didn't mean anything, but I, a people pleaser, people pleaser, I would do anything for anybody. And even if I didn't want to, to fit in, I just never felt like I fit in. And I remember uh, being with a girlfriend of mine, and we were going to try drinking and I was like 14. Uh, I hated it. I got so sick and it was disgusting. And I was just, I didn't touch it, but I was so inside myself. and I was so depressed all the time. I did not know how to make myself feel better. So I, um, I pretended that I was somebody else, or I would re I would, I would make up stories or what, what have you. And I do remember trying to, uh, I tried to commit suicide and I ended up in the hospital and, you know, my parents came in and my father was like, you know, what, you know, yelling and screaming at me. And I was just like, you know, they wanted to put me in this place. And I'm like, no, no, I'll be good. Please just let me come home. I, you know, I made a mistake and, you know, and we never talked about it again. It was never spoken of again. And, and, and these are the things like not talking about what's going on with you. And even if they asked me, I probably would have been, I don't know what's wrong. I had no idea. I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but it was what it was. And um, I remember we moved to a new place when I was 15. We moved from a small town um, into an inner city at 15. And I was pissed. Not that I even had any friends. <laughs> I had one and uh, her mom was mad now because I tried to commit suicide and I was a little crazy. So she didn't want her hanging around with me anymore. And I don't know, it was, it was just one of those things. And I just remember uh, I started to get a little boy crazy and I met the father of my children right off the boat Italian, very strict, exactly like my dad, but even worse because now he's going to tell me what to wear, what not to wear, who to talk to, who not to talk to. And so at 15 years old, I'm dating the father of my children, never going out and exploring anything on my own. I graduate in 1982 and we're married in 1984. And I have two kids by the time, by, by 1987. And all, all my sisters are all going on trips, you know, sending me, wish you were here, you know, crying at home because I <laughs> hated my life. And I just, I don't know. It just was, it was just one of those things. And I just figured this was my life. And, uh, you know, there's an Italian thing about, you know, you made your bed, you're going to lie in it. So this is the bed I made. So I, I got to make the best of it, I guess. But I never drank. I never did drugs. I never did any of that. I just stayed miserable. And um, I don't know, the kids were five, six, seven, I don't even know. And somebody introduced me to cocaine. I didn't even know what the hell it was. Now, in the 80s and 90s, that was like a big thing. And I, I never even saw it. And I, I tried pot once or twice, but it made me even more depressed. So I was like, what is this? And they're like, no, it's going it, to, you're, you're so down in the dumps all the time. This is going to make you happy. So I do a line of cocaine, 
all right. And I'm sitting there going, I don't feel nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm in my bathroom and I'm scrubbing walls. I'm humming. I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> this was wonderful. I'm on a cloud and I'm able to talk. I could say things, I could do things and not be afraid. And quickly I find out that it's very expensive. <laughs> and then I find out that if I mix drinking into the mix that I could have, I could be like this a lot, a long time, a really long time. I have arrived. I love cocaine so fucking much. I quit my job in banking. I was a banker and I'm like, I, I, I've got to, I, I, one of the guys that used to come in owned a restaurant and a bar and I'm like, I want to be a bartender. <laughs> you want to, you want to try waitressing first? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know? And I'm hanging out and I'm staying after hours and I'm partying and I'm drinking and cocaine gave me the guts to tell my husband to go fuck himself. Get I'm out of here. You're, you're, you're no good. I, you know, I never got to go out as a kid. And so now I, you know, it's all your fault. <laughs> Blamed him for everything. All my problems, him and my dad. Um, and I'm just going to go absolutely nuts. And boy, did I go nuts. The drinking, the drugs, the men, the the everything after hours, not knowing who I was with, what I was doing, um, absolutely going bonkers, bonkers. But I, it was, I turned into my father. It was my way. It was my way. Nobody was going to tell me that I couldn't do it my way. But you know, now I have no money. <laughs> I'm a poor waitress because I'm doing drugs all the time. And now I, I moved back in with my mom and my dad and my kids. Like, but I'm still afraid of my dad. I'm 35 years old and I'm afraid of my dad. And I still, because he could still tell me what to do and how to do it. And I, I was still, I was still a nervous wreck around him. Couldn't talk to him. Um, you know, I might, I, in walks, husband number two <laughs> he didn't say a word about my my drinking he didn't like the drug part he didn't like the cocaine part so he's and, and it was really expensive and I really did want to stop because <laughs> it was way too much money for me so I was like sure I'll for you anything for you and um and I did so I, I just cold turkey because somebody told me not to because he didn't like it but my drinking quadrupled and nobody says anything about drinking if you're drinking you're just having a good time you're having a good time everybody's drinking and nobody says a word to you and it was just getting to a point where I don't remember anything I'm blacking out like crazy I have an inkling that I have a little bit of a problem, but you know what? I live in my own little world, Laura's world. Laura's world, I live in my own world. I have a really great job. I'm making six figures. I have a beautiful house. I am traveling all over the place. I am not connected to my children, mind you, because they're older and they're out of the house now, but I am buying them stuff, so I'm making up for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm making up for it, all right. Um, and 
I would have these little incidences where it would go three, four days. And then it's like, all right, you know what? I got to stop. Maybe I'll just drink on, you know, just the weekends. And, you know, and then that starts on a, you know, Friday and then it's a Thursday and then it's a Wednesday. And then it's every day that ends in Y and I can't stop. And I am a hard headed Italian Guinea, like, damn it. I'm going to figure out a way. There's a way that I can get around it. And I had tried everything, everything. And I could not, I could not stop, but I won't ask for help because that's a sign of weakness. So I am going to go to a counselor on my own. And I'm not telling anybody, I'm not going to tell anybody. And I go to this guy and he was kind of cute. <laughs> so I didn't want him to know that I was a hot fucking mess. So I'm lying my ass off. I don't drink that much, but you know, maybe I want to stop. And is there a way to do this thing? You know, and, and I'm just lying. It, he's, I'm telling him anything that he wants to hear. And so he doesn't think I really have an issue because I'm just, you know, I'm, <laughs> I got this all figured out. I have no alcoholism in my family. My father, my mother, my grandparents, there's nothing. There's no one. So I cannot say that I grew up with it, that I knew what it looked like. But what I thought it looked like was an old man, homeless, on a park bench, not participating in life. And damn it, I was participating. <laughs> and I've got this beautiful home and this beautiful family. And so I... I, I I just drink too much sometimes. Maybe it's my willpower. Maybe I just got to work on that. And so I decide I'm going to stop on my own. And I did for weeks. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I was working out. I'm not eating, you know, I'm dieting. I'm doing the whole nine. I even joined a gym six weeks. Like that was way too much of me, just all at once. Like I'm all or nothing, right? And so I do this and I am okay, I'm clear headed. I'm not feeling so sick. I'm not feeling so hungover all the time. And, you know, okay, great. I get invited out to Las Vegas. I'm going to this uh, show uh, where a friend of mine is a hairdresser for this person that was doing the show. So we we go to the after hour, the after show party. And I'm, you know, rubbing elbows with, you know, oh my God, there's good Charlotte, the band, you know, like, they're drinking, smoking, everybody's doing whatever. And Lori's being a good girl and I'm not doing any of it. So I don't have a problem. If I can be around all of this, I just need to slow it down. I return to my home and I make myself the biggest, biggest mar uh, martini that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just looking at it and it's looking at me and I'm like, ooh. Did I miss you? I'm just going to have one. I missed you so much. Now I know how to control you. Guess how that turns out, people. A picture later, I don't remember shit the next day. And I was off and running again. And I just said, well, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> Whatever. And um, I'm starting to have marital problems again. Shocker. Shocker. He says to me that I, I, I said, I think maybe I have a drinking problem. And he said, yeah, you have a drinking problem. You know what your problem is? You can't not just have one. You've got, you know, you have no willpower. So 
I'm like, all right, let's try some, let's try some counseling. I really want to get this and we're going to do this together. I could talk about my drinking, but maybe if he does things that he's supposed to do, I won't have to drink so much. Again, blaming everybody else, but looking in the mirror. On February 8th of 2010, my 22-year-old son came into my office. I was running an office. I was a vice president of a company, and he was working there part-time. And he was kind of a depressed kind of kid. And, you know, and I knew that feeling of, at that age of, you know, I knew his heart. I also knew that he was smoking a lot of pot, and I didn't say anything because I wasn't going to be a hypocrite. So I saw this look on his face, and I said, Nicholas what's wrong and he's just tears are coming out of his face and I'm like you know what honey you know what your problem is you smoke too much pot you gotta stop it's making you so depressed here I'm gonna give you a name of a counselor I'm gonna give him my counselor that I lied to but maybe he won't lie to the guy <laughs> and 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 we're and, and you're gonna be all right and he's looking at me and he's just mom mom listen to me look at me and I'm like what Nick what he said, it's not pop. I'm addicted to heroin and I can't get off. What? I, I don't know what happened that day. There's only two things that brought me to my knees in my whole life. And one was the day my dad died. And that, sec that was the second time I got brought to my knees. Because again, my idea of a heroin addict did not look like this little beautiful boy that was working with me, walking around in his polo shirts and driving around in a beautiful car. And he was, oh, he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't strung out. Still in four bags a day and I didn't even know. And so I sent this boy home to where he was doing heroin because I have to fix it. You go home. I'm going to get you help, and we're going to get you. We're going to get you the help you need because I'm 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 going to do this for you. Now, mind you, I'm supposed to be at a, a at a meeting for my for my marriage, and you know, of course, that's going to be put on the back burner again. And my husband says, "Why don't we just go anyway?" We went, and and the man turned out to be a an ex drug and alcohol counselor. <laughs> So he got me some information for my, for my son. I'm not talking about my marriage. I want to talk about my marriage. I got to talk about my kid. I got to get my kid help. He needs help. And I get him in to this place and where he's in detox and in walks all the faces of what I thought heroin looked like. And I'm still like, what are we doing here? Like, he doesn't look sick. He, he's not like, it, this cannot be happening. And I'm in the parking lot puking because I'm like, so I can't wrap my head around this. I cannot wrap my head around this. And the woman that was checking us in, I couldn't go in the back. I couldn't, I couldn't check out what was going on. And she said to me these words, listen, we don't get 22 year olds that want to be here. We get them like that kicking and screaming. And they're so sick. They don't want to be here. He's got a he's got a chance. I'm going to make sure somebody keeps an eye on him over the weekend until he gets into treatment. And I'm like, okay, all right, thank you. And I go home and I drink him like crazy because oh poor me, my son, my son, he's so sick. 
And I, he gets picked up by a treatment center and we go up and it's in the mountains and this is so beautiful. And oh my God, please, please fix them and send them back to me, please. And um, he's there for three days and tested positive for something to help him sleep. And they kicked him out right away. On a Saturday night at midnight, I got a call to go get him and it's an hour away. And guess what? I'm drunk off my ass. How am I supposed to drive? But I got to go get this kid. So I wake up my soon-to-be second ex-husband and I'm like, we're going for a ride. <laughs> He's like, are you crazy? Yes, yes, I am. I got to go get my baby. I tell you what, when I walked into that center, they must've been like, oh, now here's the problem. <laughs> I was screaming who gave him the stuff like I he it's not him of course it's not him <laughs> somebody else who did you let in here blaming pointing fingers doing everything we are in the car going home and for the first time in my life I was like I don't know what to do I have no fucking clue of what to do I need help I call his father in the middle of the night and I tell him we're on our way and he is waiting for us to get there and Nick what's going on and Nick doesn't know and I swear to God dad I didn't they're lying you know and I'm like you know they probably are <laughs> the biggest enabler I'm the biggest neighbor because I've got a problem and I don't want to look at that <laughs> so me and my boy we you know we're, we're 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 besties I don't know we had to go to another place and it was going to be whatever, whatever, whatever. And I got my pen and paper and mom's going to take notes and I'm going to be the best mother ever. And I'm going to get him the help that he needs. And I'm in this place and they're explaining addiction and they're explaining this and they're explaining that. And I don't know what happened. I don't, I can't tell you. It's a feeling that it was a smash in my head, a smash in my head. You, this is you this is you. You need help. And until you get that help, there's nothing that you can do to help this child. So I drank myself silly for two days and walked into my first AA meeting on February 16th, 2010. And I have not looked back. I have had ups and downs and sideways and backwards. And I didn't want to do the program. I fought the program like I fought everything else tooth and nail, but I stuck it out. There was something about it there. You know, once I started opening up my mind and my, you know, and listening to other people and the way they were doing things and, you know, what, what did I have to lose? What did I have to lose? A year and a half in, I'm still miserable. And, and a girl said to me, you know, you didn't come to the beach to drown in the sand. You're fucking miserable. You might as well go back out there and drink. And I'm like, fuck you. You don't know me. <laughs> you know, I was so unique, you know. And she's like, what do you have to lose? Why don't you just try? Try it. Try a different way. And so I did. I started going to different meetings. I started to do different things. Um, but, you know, up to a couple of years ago, you know, I had 10 years and the pandemic hits and, you know, I'm good. I don't need it. That's all right. Meeting shut down. I'm, I'm good. I got this. I got squirrely real fucking quick. So I started doing some Zoom meetings, but I'm still feeling kind of like I'm, I'm hiding. I'm hiding out. I'm sneaking into basements of, of, of churches. And so I wanted something different and I'm starting to read things. And somebody told me about this 
Instagram thing on, on a recovery community on Instagram. And I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I'm like, Instagram, what? Like, don't, don't you just show recipes, you know? And again, give it a try. And I see all these people recovering out loud. So no one has to suffer in silence. I was like, oh my God, my people, this is what I've been waiting for, to be able to shout it from the rooftops, not be afraid, not be anonymous. Because it's, for me, that was still a stigma that I, 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 I was keeping on myself. Jesus, I hope, you know, I don't run into so-and-so at the grocery store because they're going to know I'm an alcoholic. Well, guess what? They already fucking knew I was an alcoholic because I put on quite the show when I was out there. So podcasts and literature and you don't have to do A-A-N-A or any other A's. Staying connected, being with like-minded people, opening my mind and not saying to somebody else, well, oh, you're not doing it, you're not going to make it. Like that was me being so judgmental because you were not doing it my way. My God, what an asshole I was. <laughs> and I just keep on doing the next right thing. I cheer everybody on, whether they have one day or 25 years. I'm always putting something on my Instagram page about congratulating you because 90% of it is it was never a drinking problem for me. It was a thinking problem. And once I started talking to more and more and more people, I was just amazed. Holy shit, you too? And that's the greatest thing that I've ever, ever come across was that you too, you too, you know, when you know somebody's heart. So I have dedicated myself into helping the next sick and suffering alcoholic addict, uh, whether sex, drugs, gambling, any, whatever it is, an addiction's an addiction. It's, it's, it's our thought process of not feeling good enough. And I'm here to tell you, you are more than good enough. You are fucking worth it. You are so fucking amazing that it's not even funny. You're more, you're worth more than you ever would ever, ever, ever know in your whole life. You just got to know it. And if you don't know it right now, believe that I believe it until you figure that out for yourself. Stick around, stick around. It gets better. It really truly does. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I just love my life my sober life. I'm still fucking crazy. I just have to put drugs and alcohol into the mix. <laughs> so I would, I, I would hope that uh, for anybody watching, I have an Instagram page at Lures. Um, I think it's at Lures underscore sober world. I got hacked on another, on another page, but uh, my DM is always open unless you're asking me if I want a sugar daddy, because I do not. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I, my, my DMs are open. Um, I, I, I help out people all over the place. And if I don't know, I'll say, I don't know, but I'll, but I'll help you find somebody that, that can help you out in your area. And, uh, I love this life. And uh, I know you will too. So thank you. Laurie, thank you so much for sharing your story. That was great. Yeah. What'd you think, Cameron? I loved it. Yeah. I, um, she has a great delivery. Yeah. I, I love listening to the animation of the, the different times in her life where 
she would you know slightly slightly like make fun of the situation right and like be like oh yeah right you know she's like, so work out what i liked about it was there were moments where i was listening to her story and she would talk about like sort of how she was feeling at the time yeah she's like oh my baby and i actually thought she was crying <laughs> But just because she's she's one of those, she's very animated. Yeah, it's great. Talks great. Yeah. I love it. And she talks, she uh, she talked about the Italian family. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really, you know, I think that culture can play such a big role in, um, you know, where we come from and and how how we get to those places that we get yeah. to. Um, and for her, it sounds like it, it was a, a big part of, uh, her, m her relationship with men yeah. was based on her relationship with her dad and then eventually her husband and, and yeah. kind of led her down those. And, those and, and so many, so often, you know, we, we really do find a much needed power in drugs and alcohol for mm -hmm. a time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, before it, we become completely powerless, there is this. And, and she talks about it, you know, being able to finally tell her husband how she felt because right. she's on cocaine. That was a needed power to get out of that relationship. But, you know, she gave up her own sobriety in the process of that. Mm -hmm. and, and so many of us do that. And then it, regardless of how uh, how far away she may have gotten from home, uh, she still had that, you know, father that, that fear of her dad, like she was still yeah. afraid of her dad at 35 she said being, she was still being able to you know mm -hmm. tell her but then obviously there was a lot of love there because there was two times in her life that brought her to her knees and one of them was the loss of her dad and the other one was finding out there that her son was strung out on heroin and how that doesn't look like what we think it looks like mm -hmm. right and, and as a parent when she was telling me this i wondered you know, if my child gets strung out on heroin or anything else, how blind am I going to be to it? Yeah. Because we never want to see the people we love like that. I mean, she had that kind of in her in her relationship with her husband, her second husband, where obviously the drugs had to go, but nobody said anything about her drinking. The drinking, yeah. Until she said something about her drinking. Mm -hmm. And when she finally said something about her drinking, he was like, yeah, you got a fucking problem. You have no willpower. And that's not our problem. Right. We have a fucking insane amount of willpower in almost everything in our lives except for alcohol because when it comes to alcohol, as an alcoholic, we have zero fucking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. power. Yeah, I mean, she's a very good example of that because she's somebody who, you know, had a, a good job, made, I mean, pretty good money. Um, but when it came to alcohol, she was powerless. Yeah. And she, you know, she found herself in this situation with her son and it quickly became a reason for her to, uh, to continue her own sort of cycle with addiction yeah. and, and, uh, in a way, it sounds like that really was the eye opener for her. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think we all have those moments of clarity. It doesn't really matter where they come from. Um, I would love to know how our son is doing. Yeah. Um, so Lori, reach out to us. We're just, we're curious, but, 
Um, but I am glad to see that, uh, that whatever happened happened and she was able to get to a point where she decided she needed to get sober. Yeah. And I liked hearing that, you know, she, she talked about her last drink. She talked about her first, um, her first day in AA and, uh, and how she never looked back. She's yeah. like, I never looked back. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, you can hear, you can hear the, um, the uh the gratitude in her voice there's there's no part of her that wishes she could have that old life back yeah and, i love that uh, and i like that too and she talked about you heard it there you, she talked about uh the community that she found in instagram somebody else had kind of turned her on to it have you found yourself mentioning it to people in recovery yeah yeah um i mention it too but uh but i do think that uh you know, I really appreciate she talked about the different ways to get sober. It doesn't have to be AA. Right. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I think that we, um, we are 12 step based. You and I are 12 step based. And so it's not that we forget that there's other ways to get sober. It's just maybe sometimes we don't talk about them enough, you know, um, because we talk about what we know. Yeah. That's our experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but our experience shows us that there are others who have done it without yeah. AA. And so, um, you know, if you're somebody that's listening to this, know that there is a thousand ways to get sober and that, uh, that you're worth, you're worth it. Yeah. And if you want to find more than one way to get sober, if you want to find a way outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, Instagram's a good place to look. Yeah. Turns out, yeah, who would have thought? People on there can direct you and how they got sober without AA, how they got sober as atheists, how they got sober as Catholics, mm-hmm. how they got mm-hmm. sober as whatever, you know, firefighter communities. I'm sure that there's whatever community you're looking for, you can find it. So, uh, you know, that's that's what's up. So thank you, Lori. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It was well worth the wait. And it was fun to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So... Good stuff. Yes. Good, good stuff, Cameron. What are we going to do now, Willie? I'm going to go take a nap. You always say that. It's because I get to. Can I come take a nap with you? Sure. Okay. Who's spooning who? (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'll be spooning my wife, and you will be sleeping on the couch. That's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Know your crew, you know? Know your crew. No, 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 no. Your crew. (laughs) No, no, your crew. Different kind of now. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Thanks, right. Jordan. J-Town. Coming out. Ride Dog. Ride Dog. In the house. Busy. Busy. All the listeners, thank you for putting up with us. Love you guys. Love yeah. you, Cameron. Uh, we will see you on the other side. Remember, you are worth the work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.